right, here it is. All right, he was born in 1782 in Salisbury, New Hampshire, to Christian parents who, listen, not only reverenced the Bible, but so did he and all his other nine siblings. Okay, and even though his family started out just as a bunch of simple farmers, uh, uh, this man wanted to get an education to make a difference for God, and that's exactly what he did. His teacher said he was not only the brightest boy in school, but listen, he could learn more, they said, in five minutes than other boys could in five hours. Okay, and he not only made it a practice, okay, uh, in, even into adulthood, to read through the Bible at least once a year, even as a kid, but on into adulthood. But it is said that his ability to memorize and recite scripture was so well known that it was customary for people to remark when they pulled into town, quote, come, let us go in and hear a psalm from this man. Amazing. And soon he graduated from Dartmouth College, and he became a powerful orator. And later he opened up his own legal practice, where eventually he went into politics to encourage people to not only break away okay, from the abuses of Great Britain, but to get back to what our, made our country great, and his name, hello, is God. And he would say words like this. He said, listen, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens here in America. And he said, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers were brought here by their high veneration of the Christian religion. And they journeyed by its light and they labored in its hope and they sought to incorporate, listen, its principles into their society to diffuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, or literary. In other words, everywhere. And then he warned this, listen, he says, if we abide here in America by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. And is that happening today or what? And then he warned the next generation. He said this to our responsibility to keep Christianity going in the United States. He said, are we of this generation so derelict? Have we so little of the blood of our revolutionary fathers coursing through our veins that we cannot preserve what they achieved? He said, the world will cry out shame on us if we show ourselves unworthy. Time to get motivated. And today he's still known in our country as one of the greatest orators in all of American history. He's a, a famous attorney, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and of the U.S. Senate, the Secretary of State for three presidents and defender of the U.S. Constitution. But when asked what he wanted to be remembered for in life, he simply said this, put this on my tombstone. He was a believer in Jesus. The man's name, of course, was Daniel Webster. Ooh, those Webster guys. No, believe it or not, he's not related to Noah Webster. I uh, just had to throw that in there in case you were wondering, Bobby. Okay. But I don't know about you guys, Daniel Webster, wow, that's pretty cool, right? What a track record, okay? And, and not just a track record. What a difference God used him in our own country, amen? How many of you guys would say that is a life worth living for, right? That's maximizing barren fruit for God, okay, in the generation he gives you, okay? Well, and that's the problem that we see today. What's going on? Most of us, hey, we as Christians, even though God's the same God, right, and, and we're just as much his children as Webster is, right? What's going on? Most of us as Christians, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our lives in the other, and we're going, what's going on here? There's a disconnect. It's not matching up. It doesn't compute. How come these people, like Daniel Webster, get to have these amazing, fruitful walks with Jesus, and here I am fumbling around in the dark? I don't have this life worth living for. I got a, I got a life for giving up. You ever been there as a Christian? Folks, one last time, it doesn't have to be that way. This kind of life, a life we're living for, like Daniel Webster had, is available to every single Christian. One last time, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. That's right. And that's why we're going to conclude. Now, I've got to pause to reflect on this. Let's all say that word, conclude. 
We haven't heard that for 22 weeks. Isn't that awesome? I tell you what, who's counting? Apparently I am. But we're going to conclude our study, that's right, a life worth living for. And what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys I believe are pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ like Daniel Webster had. And boy, does our country need them now than ever. Amen. We need to get motivated. Now, we've already seen the first six times that first key was experiencing God's joy. And then we need to back it up with the uh, two-bang punch with experiencing his peace. Then we saw we need to back it up with the words coming out of our mouth, and we need to have this worshipful attitude, experiencing God's worship. And the last five times we saw we need to also learn how to experience God's fruit. And that was the common sense point, right? I mean, you could just sit there every day. It's not just going to happen by itself. If you and I are ever going to live these lives that we keep reading about every single week, and we just saw another one, Daniel Webster, real guy, real Christian, just like you and I, then you and I have to do something about it. we got to get busy being obedient to God. Otherwise, we're never going to bear fruit. It's never going to transpire. Okay? And then last time we saw the fifth thing we need to learn, if we're going to have those fruitful walks with Jesus, is what I called an individual obedience. An individual obedience, one that chooses every single day, listen, Christian, to individually obey God as a pattern of life, no matter what other people say, no matter what they do, no matter what they think, nothing and nobody is going to get in your way to being obedient to God. Why? Because that's the cry of John the Baptist, remember? Hey, you want to bear fruit for God? Then you got to make this individual choice every single day. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. Individual, you need to get up and out of bed and you say, hey, listen, every day, today, I've got to find ways where I decrease. And he increases. It's not about me. It's about him. The problem is we saw a couple roadblocks we throw in there, messes things up, and we give into stipulations. We give into stipulations. We actually put conditions on our obedience to God. Well, I, I, yeah, I'll do that, God, if when that happened. No, no, when, and, they, and then that's when I'll, excuse me? Obey God and be blessed. Number two, we give in to independence, right? Just like Jacob, we basically walk around like going, hey, I don't need you, God. I got, I got it covered. And of course, as Christians, we say, well, I'd never do that. Really? Do you pray? Do you pray just like you did when you first got saved? You still doing it from that day forward? You never stop, never back down, never slowing down? Do you pray? Do you read the Bible? Do you study the Bible? Do you seek God? Do you seek fellowship with his people? Do you share the gospel? But guess what? That in itself is in essence, whether we want to admit or not, you are declaring your independence from God. And the Bible is very clear. As we saw with the last week, smoke coming off the backside there. Oh, you'll get to heaven. Praise God, because we're saved forevermore through Jesus Christ. But you're not going to have anything to show for it. Right? Do you want to get there like that? Right? All the things you think you're doing, big old waste of time. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing we have to stay dependent upon him every single day stay plugged into him seek him and his strength and he'll do amazing things with you and i amen okay one more to go the sixth thing we need to learn is what i call a consistent obedience a consistent obedience okay in other words one that obeys god day in day out never stopping never wavering never slowing down no backing down just keep on going all the way to the end why Because it is this consistency that is a major key to producing, listen, a major mega crop for God. This is how it happens. You don't do it just once in a while. You don't just do it in a New Year's resolution. You don't just do it after you feel convicted after the sermon or some teaching or whatever. You do it every single day. Bang! Next thing you know, woo! You've got a lot to lay at the feet of Jesus. Perseverance is the key. I didn't say that. He did. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Let's take a look there. Luke chapter 8, our opening text. And uh, let's take a look at Jesus tells us clearly how in the world are you going to bear fruit for him? Okay. And uh, he gives us some bad examples 
And then he gives us the correct example, okay? It's the classic passage on the parable of the sower, okay? It's uh, the quilter's favorite passage, right? No, it's wrong kind of sowing, sowing of the seed, but anyway. Uh, Luke chapter 8, okay, let's take a look at verse 4. When you get there, say moo. Moo. There's always a demon in the house. I don't know what's going on. All right. Well, let's get there. Luke chapter uh, 8, verse 4. All right. Here's what it says. Now, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he, he, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed, okay, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and it was trampled on and, and the birds of the air ate it up. Well, some fell on the rock and when it came up, the, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Well, other seed fell along the, the thorns, and when it grew up uh, with it, and, uh, uh, thorns grew up with it and choked the plants. And then still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, and he said, I love this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Can I translate that for you? He does the same thing in Revelation. Pay attention. What I just told you is very, very important, right? And that's why the disciples wanted to get some clarity right? His disciples asked him, well, okay, what's this parable mean? And Jesus explained why he even said it in a parable in the first place. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that, fulfilling Isaiah here, I believe, though seeing they may not hear, though hearing they may not understand, but this is the meaning of the parable. Listen, the seed is what? It is the word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear, and then who? Jesus believed in a literal what? devil did you know that about 65 percent of the american church thinks that's make-believe excuse me jesus said the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved do you think there's a little bit of spiritual warfare going on every time we get an opportunity to witness you bet you there is and that's why we need to be praying that god would touch their heart now those uh that are on the rock okay are the ones who receive the word with joy but when they hear it they have no root they only believe what for a while but in the time of what? Testing. They fall away. They weren't true. The seed that fell on the thorn stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by what? Life's worries. They go back to the world and riches and pleasures and they do not mature. But here's your best case scenario. The seed on the good soil stands for those who listen with a noble and good heart who what? They don't just hear the word. They what? Here's the point. They retain it and by what's the word? persevering what happens you bear fruit or literally produce a crop and not just any old crop either because other parallel passages in the gospel tell us they produce a crop okay some 30 some 60 some 100 times what was sown okay the point is when you're following jesus christ when you're a true christian you're going to produce a crop now don't play the crop inspector okay because we're all different right turn to somebody and say hey man you're different but i'm glad you're here Okay, you're different, right? We're all different, right? God's got different paths, whatever, okay? So don't say, oh, I'm not really a good Christian because Tom produced 100. Only got That's not the point. The point is we all should be bearing a crop, but it's going to be different for everybody. The point is bear a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times you bear a crop for Jesus. Why? Because the key word he tells us, how does this happen? How does this get out of desire land and dream world into reality? He tells us with the key word there, persevering. This is how they did it. They persevere by persevering. How many times do we skip over that? The word perseverance comes from the Greek word hupomone. Let's say that. That, Bobby, you got it. I actually asked you to say that. Okay, but anyway, hupomone, that's right. And it means, listen, a steadfastness, a consistency. That's the word. 
a steadfast, a consistency, one who endures. Listen, they never give up. And the idea is even this, they wait patiently, suffering even if needed, to do whatever it takes to bear a crop for God. This is the secret. This is the key. How do you bear much mega fruit for God? The key is right here. You have to be consistent. You have to persevere every single day, not just once in a while. You have to have this attitude and behavior that never gives up, never stops, never slows down. You don't back down. You don't retreat. You keep moving forward, painting it all for God. Why? Because he deserves nothing less. Out of love and gratefulness and thankfulness for all he's done for us, this is how it happens. You have to make a deliberate choice to persevere, to bear a big crop for God. You have to be consistent, right? Plain in the text. And so the question is, surely that's what we're doing, right? I mean, day in, day out, we here at Sunrise, man, we're never stopping. We're never backing down. We're never slowing down, man. We're never giving up, retreating, man. We're always seeking ways every day to be obedient to God. I mean, persevering all the way to the end. Jim, do you recognize the sarcasm yet? Yeah, it's to make a point. And here's what I've learned, folks, in the church. Even though God wants to use us to produce a crop, some granted 30, some 60, some 100, at least it's a crop, okay? We give in to some roadblocks, and it messes this consistency up, okay? We never get around to persevering. And the first roadblock that gets thrown up at us is, listen, oh, we're consistent, all right. We're just consistent in the wrong things. Have you noticed that? It's not that we don't know how do I persevere, how do I be consistent. We do it all the time. It's just the wrong stuff. Let me give you one example. Whether it's physical exercise, man, or the latest food diet, we don't bat an eye <laughs> spending hours doing what it takes to whip these bodies into shape. Don't make me do what I did last week. <clears throat> yeah, it didn't work last week either. But anyway, that's right. Whoa, okay. Listen to this. Week. We are more concerned, listen, in the charts even, with physical care over spiritual care instead of being consistently obedient to God. In fact, listen to this. Barner research shows that, listen, 91%, 91% of adults consider good physical health as their top priority in life, making it the highest priority of all. Where's God? What's the greatest commandment? Get those killer biceps, right? Become Sir Abula. Right? <laughs> no, it's to love God, number one. But this is our greatest, greatest uh, desire, physical health. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I've told you guys this before. I believe in a well-balanced diet, right? I believe a well-balanced diet is a cheeseburger in both hands, right? You got to be careful with the French fries. They can put you over. Just count them out, Bill. You'll be okay, right? And I believe, seriously, I seriously believe in getting into shape. What I've learned over the years is, last time I checked, round is a shape. Mission accomplished, I'm happy. Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, I think we're getting off balance, okay? We're more concerned to physical care over spiritual care. And believe it or not, Paul warned us about this, folks, okay? In this passage, let's take a look. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. Spend your time and energy, Paul says, Christian, training yourself for what? Spiritual fitness, Okay? Physical exercise, of course, it's got some value. I'm not against it. It's got some value. We all know that medically. But spiritual exercise is what? Much more important. Why? Because here's the payoff. It promises a reward both in this life and what? In the next. And that's why we got to get our priorities straight. This is how he says you produce a crop for God. And this is our problem. We've allowed ourselves to become more concerned, more consistent with physical care 
and the spiritual needs every single day just go by the wayside, okay? And again, I'm, I'm not against exercising or trying to eat healthy. Please be responsible, okay? But our problem is even these healthy things can become spiritually unhealthy if they take away our daily consistent obedience to God, okay? And let, let me give you some examples. For instance, we'll get up at the crack of dawn. I won't, but some, I heard some people will. And we'll get the crack of dawn, man. Uh, we'll expend ourselves even financially, get those proper, right, expensive jogging shoes. We'll, we'll adorn ourselves with the appropriate gear. Uh, we'll make sure that we got that biodegradable, environmentally friendly, green, self-purifying water bottle. And then we'll get out there and we'll jog our hearts out. That's great. But did you do something else first if you're going to do that? Did you run that hard for what Jesus said to run away from? Here's God's jogging plan. Huh? You want to build up the spirit, man? Here's what you do every day. Jog this way. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee, run, jog, get out of there. The what? The evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with all those who call on the Lord out of a what heart? A pure heart okay this is god's jogging plan you keep that up you flee from that the bible also says flee from all kinds of other things flee from idolatry flee from worldliness and things of that nature you every day that's your jogging plan i'm gonna run from that stuff Woo! guess what you grow spiritually you get stronger and you start producing a crop for god is that a part of your jogging plan every day something's out of balance if it's not Oh, but then we do this, man. Hey, whether it's the South Beach diet, the North Beach diet, the East Beach diet, the West Beach diet, the No Beach diet, the diet this, diet that, diet whatever, we don't hesitate to refrain from food that's harmful for us, including you know what. But will we consistently refrain from other things in this world that God says will destroy your walk with him? This is what God says, 1 John, right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, do not Christian what? Don't love this world. Don't crave it, right? Or anything in this world. Why? Because if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. It's called idolatry. You want that more than God. And you'll bust your back for that more than God, okay? And he says, for everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that doesn't come from God. That doesn't come from the Father. What's it come from? It comes from the world. Are you staying away from that? Are you staying away from this wicked world system? Are you staying away from worldly things? Are you dieting from that every single day? Now, here's the good news. You do that along with that other jogging plan. Guess what? Woohoo! Next thing you know, I persevere. I'm producing the crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100. How does it happen? You just put the spiritual on top. Not again, hey, anybody knows it's, it's kind of good to have some material things from this world, like clothes come in handy place to sleep comes in hand. I'm not again, you got to be in the world. You got to work. You got to eat some food once in a while. I get that. But it gets out of balance when that's all you do. Otherwise, every day you get up and your heart wants to do something great for God. You want to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me and rescuing me from hell. Thank you. Woo! But it won't happen until you get back to God's spiritual fitness plan. Okay? Let me give you one more school. Stay in school. Go to school. Don't you dare drop out of school. School that, school that, school, 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 school. Why? Because this is what the world says is the purpose of an education. They say you need to go to school so you can get a good education, so you can get a good job that makes a lot of money, so you can buy things that you don't need to impress people you don't know who in the end don't even care. Woo! Yeah! That's what you bust your back for. Now, I'm not against education. 
right? I've also learned that sometimes you can be educated to your detriment. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Like, how many degrees do you need, right? Educated. I'm so educated. Ask my wife. I still don't even know how to take out the trash, right? (laughs) Education is to fix everything. But I'm not anti-education. But come on, what? But here's my point. We will bust our back. We will slave, man. We will go in debt. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll do this and burn the candle. But will you bust your back like that for spiritual education? Like the Bible? It's what Paul says. In fact, he uses the words in the Greek there. It's logikos. It's logical. This is your logical response. Are you thankful for what Jesus did? Here's the logical response. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. This is serious stuff. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, after all he's done for us, to offer your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's, the Greek word there is logikos. And again, it's basically this. This is your logical act of worship. After all God has done for you, it's a free gift for him. He did it all on the cross. While we were doomed, headed straight for hell, there's nothing we can do to change it. He sent his son. He saved us. Woo! What's the logical response? Do not conform to this world. Don't you start looking like the world. How dare you? He saved you from this place. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? You need to be transformed. Did you know the Bible is the only book on the planet that can unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from this world? It's only here. This is where we find out where we've been lied to. This is where we find out how we get stronger in Jesus. You have to renew your mind with the word of God, and that's Paul's response. Get educated in the things of God. Why? Because it promises a reward both in this life and the life to come. This is how you produce a crop for God. You Listen, they say, I, they lower prices every day. They sell all kinds of stuff at Walmart, but you can't buy this. This comes from daily, consistent obedience to God getting involved in his spiritual plan. You want to do the physical stuff? More power to you. But you better put God first. And if God isn't even on the list or he's down below, you're out of whack. And stop kidding yourself. You're never going to produce a crop for God. Okay? This is how you produce a crop for Jesus. This is how you bear fruit. There are no shortcuts. You have to be consistent in God's things, not the world's. Day in, day out, never give up, never stop, no backing down, no retreat, no stopping. You keep moving forward even if it costs you suffering. Why? Because he so deserves it. Didn't he suffer for us? Do what it takes. Burn the candle. Burn out your life for Jesus Christ. Seek him and bear fruit for him. Some 30, some 60, some 100. You persevere in the right things, not the wrong things. You spent your time wisely. Now, here's the point. If you can't seem to do that, I don't know the heart, but God does. If you can't seem to do that, and you have no desire to do that, and even now you can can give a rip. Yeah, whatever. So what? I exercise. I'm more concerned about this world and physical things than God. Then maybe you need to do what this man was charged to do. True story, I'm told. Alexander the Great, he conquered the entire known world at the time. And part of his greatness was that he feared nothing at all. And therefore, one thing he would not tolerate in any of his soldiers was cowardice. 
And then one day he was told in a court for his army and the sergeant of arms was bringing in one soldier after another and reading the accusations against them. And no eyes shifted and no one moved because the king was pronouncing sentence on them, often without mercy, soldier after soldier. Okay, there was no one who could deliver out of his hands and often the sentence was death. Well, suddenly became before him a soldier, a young man, no more than 17 years of age. And he was an unusual boy for that part of the world. He was blonde hair, blue-eyed, kind of handsome and stuff. And, and for a moment, the king looked at him in silence, and no one moved, but they saw the hardness leave the king's face. And so Alexander the Great asked the sergeant, what is his crime? And the sergeant replied, he was found fleeing the face of the enemy and was discovered cringing in a cave. Well, bang, immediately Alexander's features hardened again because the one thing he would not tolerate was cowardice. But in the terrible silence that followed, he as he looked at the boy, a remarkable thing happened. The king's face softened once more, and he simply said this, Son, what's your name? And with these words, everyone in the hall knew that the lad had won the king's heart. And, 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 and so the boy actually breathed a sigh of relief, and, and he answered, My name is Alexander. Immediately, the gentleness left Alexander's face, and he said, What is your name? And the boy snapped to attention, replied, Alexander, sir. And at that, the king exploded out of his chair, grabbed the boy by his tunic, picked him up off his feet, and he said this, soldier, change your conduct or change your name. How many of us as American Christians today need to hear the same thing? Amen to that. I think that was Hebrew for change your conduct. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> if you can't stop being more consistent in physical things and worldly things instead of God's things, day in, day out, that's what you're consistent with. It just never seems to happen. And your attitude is, who cares? I give a rip. Then maybe you've got a bigger problem on your hands. I don't know the heart, but God does. Maybe the reason why you're not bearing a crop for God at all is because you really don't belong to God at all. Because Jesus says, listen, we're all different. I get that. But you're going to bear a crop. Might be 30, might be 60, might be 100, but you're going to bear something. Because being indwelt with his Holy Spirit, he's going to make sure of that. And that only happens when you're truly born again. And so I make the same charge today to us. Christian, sunrise, change your conduct or change your name. We have got to get back to taking this series to be consistently obedient to the things of God. Otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. We're never going to produce a crop. It only happens when day in, day out, you say, yes, God, your program comes first. I will do what it takes. I won't back down. I won't slow down. I will not retreat. That's not an option. I'm going to live for you and seek you to have something to lay at your feet when my time comes. That's the only way it happens. Now, flip it around. You might have that heart today, and that's, that's the right heart. But the enemy, I've learned over the years in my own walk with Jesus, he tricks us with this next one. You see, we not only are consistent in the wrong things, but even when we get back to being consistent in the right things, turn to somebody and say, hey, you blew it this week, didn't you? Go ahead, say it. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> right? And then, because we blow it, the enemy comes in, and here's what we do. We disbelieve the right things. 
We either get consistent in the wrong things, but even when we get consistent in the right things, when we blow it, we don't take God at his word. Folks, I'm here to tell you, man, if you get this one down, if you pay attention, at least at this point, you are going to leave this sanctuary by the spirit of God, a brand new person. Even as a true Christian bearing fruit for God, some more than others, I get that 30, 60, 100, okay, we're still going to blow it. Even as a Christian, it's going to happen. I'm not condoning it, but the reality is we're still unfortunately going to sin. But the good news is this, if you believe the right thing of what God said he's going to do with that sin, you just get right back up and keep seeking him and bearing a crop for him. Listen to what God says he's going to do with our sins if we just do what he says. First John, okay, it's clear about this. Chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we what? How many people say that today? Oh, I'm not that bad of a person. Right? Oh, I try to be good. Right? Oh, I ain't got no Excuse me? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but when you blow it, listen, here's all you got to do. If you would just what? If you would just confess your sins, it's hama legeo in the Greek. Hama is meaning the same legeo words, the same word. God already knows. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. He even knows, yeah, when we sin. So we're not informing him of something he doesn't know. He knows. Same word. We're just saying the same thing about it as God already knows about it. It was wrong. That's confession. If you confess our sins, if we do that, he, God, Jesus, is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? Not just unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness, he says there. And this is amazing news. The Bible says that when you and I sin, Christian, when we blow it, okay, what do we do? Do we run from God? Do we hide from God? Do we shrink back in fear from God and never talk about bearing a crop for him? Oh, no, I'm disqualified. No. The scripture says, Christian, you confess your sins to God, and he's going to forgive you. Not maybe, not my, he says, and he will forgive you. He's not going to think about it. He's not going to make us squirm for a week. He's not going to play that game and make us feel really rotten. Okay, now I'll forgive you. He doesn't play that game. We do with each other, but not God. He'll forgive us. And not just that, he says something else. He says he won't just forgive us, he'll cleanse us. This is awesome. In fact, in the original Greek there, it's in the continuous. So it's not just that God will cleanse us. He will continually cleanse us. It never stops. Which means, listen, he will continually cleanse us from all of our sins, every last stinking one of them, past, present, future. It's all gone. As fast as you can do it, he wipes them away. Not that that's our attitude, but isn't that a fantastic truth? He wipes them all away, okay? This is the glorious message of the gospel. This is what we are to be believing in, Christian. This is the right stuff. This is the right things. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins, past, present, future. Therefore, here's the point. Our relationship with God is secure forever. Now, the devil knows this. Jesus mentioned him in the text. Who was the one who was in there trying to mess up the word being thrown out? Get this word from God. Don't listen to the evil one. The devil knows this. He knows this is, what is our life? What does James say about our life, our time here on earth in the span of eternity? It's just a wisp. It's a vapor. It's just such a little teeny tiny time. This is our one shot to bear a crop for God. You can't do this in heaven. You'll never witness in heaven. You can't store up treasure in heaven. It's too late. It's only in this little wisp, this vapor that we get to bear fruit. And the devil knows this. So here's what he does. He takes that which is good for us to do, namely confession of sin, and he turns it into something shameful for us to do. Don't believe me? You really think it's by chance that the moment you start realizing you need to confess a sin, that all of a sudden these thoughts into your mind 
that tell you instead you're condemned? What's the Bible say? Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Greek, it means not even one bit, not even an ounce, nothing. We are no longer condemned. You think it's by chance that goes to your head? Think it's by chance when you blow up big time and you want to run to God, instead do you think all of a sudden, maybe I should just get away from God? How many Christians do you know? And I know, unfortunately, when they need, we need God at all times, but when you really need him, you went the wrong way. And you wonder why it got so bad. Why? Maybe there was a voice going through her head, in his head, saying that God doesn't love you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Do you really think it's by chance that after you've made an absolute total mess of your life and you long to hear from God, I love you, my child, that instead a voice goes to your head, God hates you, you're not his child. Or you wouldn't have done that. That ain't the spirit of God. It's a deliberate attack of the evil one. He's tricking us into, listen, not confessing our sins to God. Listen, so that we'll be feeling alienated from God. Remember the classic phrase? If it ever felt feels like God's a million miles away, guess who moved? Not him. We did. And sometimes we feel like we're alienated from God and we're just talking to a concrete ceiling because we've been tricked by the evil one. Just do what God says. Confess your sins. Wipes it away. It's gone. Into the sea of no more. As far as the east is from the way, it's gone. Get up. Start fighting again. But no. We feel like he doesn't love me, and he can't use me. And if you don't think God doesn't love you, Christian, you're not going to draw near him. And if you don't draw near him, then your walk with him is going to suffer, and you'll never bear a crop for him. That's what he's up to. I think the biggest thing that the enemy wants us to do is not just to get us to sin, it's to get us to stay down in sin and not confess it and get back up and start fighting again. We stand up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have to believe the right things, stop listening to the wrong things, from the evil one. If you confess your sins, God guarantees that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So Christian, if you're sick and tired of getting tricked by the evil one into sitting down on the battlefield of life, getting nothing done for Jesus, don't run and hide from the Father. Run to the Father like this little boy did. Watch this. What you're about to see now was a surprise for a little boy whose dad has been in Iraq. The scene is a small town in northwest Washington state. U.S. Navy Ensign Bill Hawes, who spent the past seven months deployed to Iraq, decided to surprise his six-year-old son hey, John at school. John didn't know it till he laid eyes on his dad. <laughs> It took young John a long time to stop crying, but when he did, he mustered the courage to introduce his dad to his classmates, who had all written him letters while he was deployed. It's tough to take, but welcome home. We're back with more right after this.
It's our Father. He too has gone to war for you and I, King Jesus. And he won. He loves you. He loves us as his children. And he longs to hold us in his big, strong arms. Listen, Christian, don't listen to the evil one. Just like that, son. When you need him the most, you run to the Father. Let him pick you up. Let him cleanse you. Let him comfort you. Let him dry your tears. And let him tell you those words that we longed. Welcome home. I love you. Thank you for coming to me. Now get out there and start fighting again. That's to be our attitude. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You do that when you're blind. You listen to the right stuff. You'll start bearing fruit. Paul says this, man. It's the ultimate uh, uh, Rocky. Rocky, I mean, I haven't man, seen that back when I was, uh, before I got saved. The old Rocky one. I think the, the Rocky one. Remember that? The guy, man, he was getting all beat up, bruised, right? I mean, that was just like, dude, just stay down on the mat. Look at him. Ooh, he's just getting bigger as it was. He's swelling up, right? He's like, right? He's just, man, dude, just stay down, right? But what was so encouraging about Rocky? He, got <laughs> he kept getting back up, right? There's no way. And then he won. It's the same kind, that's the same mentality that I get when I read this passage from Paul. As Christians, man, the enemy's coming at you, he's beating at you. Stay down, are you kidding me? This is what Paul says. This is a total Rocky verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, he says, we are hard pressed on all sides, but guess what? We're never frustrated. Oh yeah, we might be puzzled, but we're never in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never deserted. We may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. You get back up and you keep swinging again. This is what Paul says as Christians we are going to do. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, even when you're pounded on the mat, and you did blow it, you confess it, and you get back up again, and you start swinging again. Oh, but I got it again. I'm on the mat again. You confess it again. You get up again, Rocky, and you start swinging again. We get up by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is how you bear fruit for God. And the next thing you know, folks, we have something to lay at his feet. You don't quit. You don't quit. You just keep getting back up. I don't care how many times you fall down, you just keep getting back up. But see, you see, we, we play this game. I don't know if you've done this one before, but you say, the festival, you don't understand. You don't understand my sin. You don't understand what I did. You don't know what I've done, Pastor Bill. I've blown a big... Listen, I I, I want to serve God, and I'm sitting here on the map, but listen, I've been disqualified. God can't use me. Now that's a life in the pit of hell. God has always used up messed up people. (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament, for his glory. Be encouraged today. Let's take a look at some of the heroes of the faith. Were their walks perfect with God? I don't think so, but let's take a look. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look.
Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. Folks, whatever you do, don't listen to the lies of the evil one. Somehow thinking that as a Christian, you've got to be perfect before you can serve God. Just do what he puts before you. When I first got saved, I was about nine months old in the Lord. Eight weeks after I got saved, I'm in Bible college. I don't know anything. I just wanted to go there to learn more about God. All right? About nine months, I'm talking to this guy who got, I learned, he got saved about the same month I did. So he's about a brand new Christian, I'm with the old Lord. And so I'm just sharing the gospel, I'm just sharing what I knew and things I know. I'm no scholar, nothing, whatever. And I didn't know hardly half of those people mentioned on there. I'm just sharing what I knew. And I remember sitting there with him in the pew. And I said, well, what are you doing to serve Jesus? How are you? He says, you know, I've only been saved for about nine months. And he says, I, I think I need another good couple years you know, of learning and growing before I can start speaking to other people. And I remember just being, you know that commercial where people's heads blow off? <laughs> With the purple stuff coming out? <laughs> that's how I felt. <laughs> what? What do you mean, right? But see, that's the mentality. We think that we have to know everything. We have to be perfect. We have to, excuse me, nobody's condoning sin. And we shouldn't sin. But when you sin, you just confess it and you get back up and start swinging again, Rocky. And we'll never know it all. That's the height of pride and arrogance to think you're going to know everything. But God says you don't even be afraid of when you're before people of what to say. The Spirit of God will give you the right words. It's a trust issue. But the point is do something. The important thing is when we do serve and obey Jesus Christ every single day out of consistency, we do it out of love and gratefulness and thankfulness and consistently after all he's done. This is the only way. That's how you get it out of dreamland, ideal world, into reality. This is how you produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100. You don't listen to the lies of the evil one. You believe the right things. Even when you blow it, you get back up. We are qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You get up and start fighting again. You don't give out. You don't give up. You stand up. Keep on fighting because the church of Jesus Christ needs every available Christian on the front line. And we do that because we serve a great king like these people. 
share. We'll close in prayer after this. I am not an innocent bystander. I am a threat to my enemy. I am powerful. I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. My enemy will I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight! I will be wounded! I will be targeted and I will bleed! I will not tire! My wounds will be healed! I will see tragedy! I will feel pain! But I will be restored! My feet will not stumble! My hands will hold fast! I will not be intimidated! every day as a Christian because we serve a great king Jesus Christ you don't need to be afraid you don't need to freak out when the devil comes knocking at your door Christian let Jesus answer it and you get back up you grab your sword dust yourself off and you start swinging again that's how you bear a crop for God. This is how we live a life worth living for. Remember the premise of our study when we first began? We finished another 30 weeks on Bible prophecy. Remember those days? Memories. <laughs> and what was the response? All right, we're living the last days. We don't know the day nor the hour, but it's getting close. The logical response is, do what you can, as much as you can for Jesus. A life worth living for. How to get as much done by the Spirit of God for Jesus in the last days. This is it. Don't lose this mentality. Every day, be consistent. And the next thing you know, individually and corporately as a church, I don't know about you, but I'm hoping to hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant and servant church. Sunrise, enter the joy of your master. Let's be that church here in Las Vegas and around the world in these last days. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment 
to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart 
that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.